Turn with me, please, this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. I have titled this message, The Revelation of Paul. The Revelation of Paul. And I, I think as we go along that, uh, uh, that that will begin to make sense. Uh before I get started, let, let me mention to you, let me, let me remind you that this coming Wednesday evening, that pastor is going to lead us in receiving the emblems of communion. So I hope you'll come and be with us. I hope you'll join us for, uh, for this wonderful time together. This message is to serve as a preamble for that service. Uh, in a staff meeting a couple of weeks ago, Pastor asked me, "Would would you preach on Sunday morning, the twenty seventh?" And I and I and I looked at him then, and I said, first of all, I said, "Are you going to be gone?" And this morning, I thought he was. When I stepped out, where'd he go? And there he is back there, and. Uh, he said, no. He said, do you want me to be gone? And I said, no, you don't intimidate me like you do Dave Morris. <laughs> but then I said, I am working on a, on a message for communion. And I, I seldom work on uh, just a message generally specified like that. And I said, I know we're not having communion until Wednesday night. Will it, will it be a problem? And he said, absolutely not. He said, if, if that's the way you feel like the Lord's leading you and directing you, feel free to, to go that particular direction. And so I told him, we'll, we'll just do this kind of a preamble for, for the service on Wednesday night. So this particular passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting to read at verse number 23, is my favorite of all of the, of all of the communion scriptures. Okay, so let's, let's read it together and then we'll, uh, we'll look at some things. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Let me, let me read to you a quotation from one of the official position papers of the Assemblies of God. It says, and I quote, The Assemblies of God, the Assemblies of God understanding of Scripture has long been stated in the first article of the Fellowship Statement of Fundamental Truths. The Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, are verbally inspired of God. Now, some of you have said in a class that I've been teaching over the last several months, and you understand a little bit about the, the theory of inspiration that we adhere to. We believe in what is called verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal is that every word is inspired. 
Every word is inspired. Plenary is, this is the final book. There won't be any more. There won't be any more. So we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Scripture. So here it says, we believe that the Scriptures are, the Old and New Testament, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man. The infallible, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. Unquote. Okay. This means, this means that we believe that God has chosen to reveal himself. That there's a revelation. That God has chosen to reveal himself to men. Now, the greatest revelation of the Lord is right here. Okay, it's right here between these covers or in your Bible or on your electronic device. I, I got a new electronic device uh, for Christmas and I downloaded the, the Bible app and I can't get it to open. So I, I sent Dave Morris a... Now he... He may be intimidated by, pre by, by pastor preaching, but there's nothing technically that in intimidates Dave Morris. Okay, and so I, I, told, I sent Dave a text and I said, will you help me figure out how to get the most out of this thing? And he said, absolutely. So, you know, I pick on him, but I love him. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. So, but however you, you get your scripture the Word of God is the greatest revelation of God to you. To you. But we, we believe that revelation comes in, in two forms in, in the Scripture, but, but, in, but the revelation of God comes in two forms. First of all, there is what is called general or natural revelation. Okay, let me give you an example of that. Look at, look at uh, Psalm 19, verse number 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork thereof. Okay, we get out in nature, and we see these things, and we say, this didn't happen by accident. Some, some place, someone created all this. I love to fish. Most of you know I love to fish. And my brother and I get out, and not too long ago, we went together, and we fished for two or three hours, and we got nothing. But I'm telling you, it was wonderful just to be in God's creation, to see the beauty of the Lord. And, and, and we talk about that just, just every once in a while. Man, it's good to be out here just to see what the Lord has done. Just to see what the Lord has done. The second type of revelation is called specific or supernatural revelation. And an example of that would be in Exodus chapter 3 where God specifically, supernaturally revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. Maybe more correctly in the bush that wouldn't burn. Because, because that's, what, that's what Moses said it, it, he looked, you know, it was not unheard of out there in that intense heat in that desert for a, a, a dried up bush to spontaneously burst into flames. 
But that one burst into flames and wouldn't quit burning. And so Moses said, let's turn aside here. Let's see what's going on. Let's see why this thing's not burnt up. Why the bush is not burnt up. And so that, that is supernatural, the supernatural revelation of God. Now I mention this because of Paul's statement in verse number 23 of our text this morning. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Okay, that sounds suspiciously like revelation knowledge. And I, I, read, I read this not too long ago in my devotions. And we know that, that on occasion that God specifically, supernaturally, revealed himself or something about his work to Paul. We know that. Let me give you a couple of examples. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, where Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, nor was taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was supernaturally, specifically, revealed to Paul. And then again in Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse number 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given, given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Now, that mystery is not like we think of a mystery. There's no dead body in the wings somewhere. Somebody trying to work out all of the details. What that means is God revealed to me that which had been concealed. That which was formerly not known. That's, that's what, in the New Testament, that's what the word mystery means. That, that which was previously concealed. But recently when I was reading this textual reference... I asked myself, why should Jesus, by revelation, speak to Paul about the Lord's Supper, which is so clearly explained in the Gospels? Now, don't you think that's a reasonable question? Why should the Lord specifically, supernaturally, reveal this to Paul? Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote about the Lord's Supper. They all gave us some details along this line. It's clearly revealed. But I have an idea. That's scary, isn't it? I have an idea. This epistle, I, 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 went, I began to do some research, and I found out that this epistle was written around 53 to 55 A.D. But the earliest of the Gospels was not written until the early 60s A.D. And so Paul writes this, and that the revelation that he received was even earlier than this. He received that revelation before the Gospels were written. And it's very, very possible, and, and, and we, don't, we don't know this for a fact, 
But it's very possible that he was given this revelation in the three years in the regions of Arabia that he, he spent there before he went to Jerusalem to meet the apostles. And you'll, you'll find that detail in Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Okay? So when I was reading this account, I linked the five purposes of Jesus in this event to five words. Let me give you those five words, okay? Sanctified, sidetracked, stir, sermon, and stimulate. Now, as we work through this morning, those five words are going to show up in the things that I want you to notice in this particular message this morning. So let's start out. The first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus sanctified the event with prayer. Jesus sanctified the event with prayer. Verse number 24, and when he had given thanks. When he had given thanks. Before beginning his teaching on that particular day, Jesus sanctified it. Set it apart with prayer. Merriam-Webster's dictionary says that sanctified is to set apart to a sacred purpose or a rel religious use. Let me give you a simple working definition for our purpose. And that is, to be sanctified is to be set apart from the world and set apart unto God. When I talk about being sanctified, that's what I'm talking about. Separated from the world separated unto God. So Jesus, our example, set apart this event that he was getting ready to, to do. And it said something about the importance of it when Jesus prayed about it and led, led them in a time of prayer beforehand. It said something about how important he thought that was and he set apart that event with prayer. Now, we, we set things apart in prayer. Just before I came up here this morning, John sanctified this service. Set it apart from the world unto God. This is God's service this morning. It's been sanctified. And let me tell you something. Not just when John prayed. It's been sanctified by this staff. It's been sanctified by our pastor. It's been sanctified by me in prayer before I ever got out here this morning. We sanctify things with prayer. Most of us, ho hopefully all of us, sanctify our meals with prayer. We pray beforehand. I go to, my dad's living in Cleveland, Oklahoma right now in a uh, uh, residential living uh, facility. And uh, every once in a while, my brother will come over from Peru and I'll come up from Oklahoma City and we'll, we'll go get dad and we'll take dad to eat. Dad loves to, especially breakfast. Dad loves to go out and eat breakfast. Matt, I see you doing this. You, you must like to go out and eat breakfast. I do too, and uh, we go take Dad out, and, and, and I've wondered several times, kind of chuckled to myself, and I've wondered what the people around us think when they see 
three old men sitting there holding hands and praying. But it's something as a family that we've always done. And when we do that, Dad still leads us in prayer to sanctify that meal to the Lord. But you see, the main thing that we need to sanctify is we need to sanctify our lives with prayer. Every word, every thought, every action, everything that we do needs to be sanctified. My life, your lives, every day, every day needs to be lived to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God. Don't let, don't let anybody look at your life and see something in you that would bring shame to the kingdom, that would bring shame to this church, that would bring shame to your family. Let it be sanctified because you've spent time with the Lord before you ever got out there to live your life. Okay, so the first thing that I want us to notice is, is that Jesus sanctified this. The second thing that I want us to look at is that Jesus was not sidetracked by future circumstances. Again, in verse number 24, the last part, it says, He break it. And said, take eat, this is my body. At that time, ahead of Jesus was unimaginable suffering. And he knew it. He knew that he was getting ready to leave that gathering. To lead those disciples, those apostles, into Gethsemane. And from there he would begin a season of suffering that is just beyond comprehension. I, I don't know what you do, but every once, every once in a while, and there's no rhyme or reason to when or where that I do this, I may be driving down the road meditating on the things of God and think about the suffering of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I find myself shuddering, cringing, oh, God, what Jesus had to endure to pay the sacrifice for my sins and for your sins. What, what a horrifying, horrifying experience it was. And yet Jesus, knowing that this was in the forefront of his life, was not willing to let these things sidetrack him for what was important now. You see, he would not let worry or fear of what was coming keep him from communicating to the apostles the things at this time that were so important that they get a hold of. He would not be sidetracked. You see, this was the one thing on Jesus' mind. Let's communicate this. The new covenant is getting ready to happen. Tomorrow, the price will be paid for the new covenant. You need to understand what's going on here. That's what he was saying to them. So he took that bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he said, This is my body. 
Symbolically, this is my body. And he took the cup and he, 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 he showed that to them. And he said, this is my blood. And in these emblems is a new covenant. A new covenant. Something brand new. The grace of God is getting ready to be revealed in a way that man has never experienced it before. It's the new covenant. And he would not be sidetracked by the horrors of tomorrow because of the importance of today. It was the one thing, it was the one thing in his mind. There are several one thing statements in Scripture. Informative, important, one thing statements in Scripture. Look at Psalm 27, verse number 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, the psalmist never intended to just live in church. But he said, as long as I live, I'm going to find a place in the presence of the Lord. That's the one thing in my life. There may have been times of exile. There may have been times that he was cut off from the sanctuary. But I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to find, it's the one thing that I intend to do the rest of my life until God calls me home. The one thing. Let me tell you something. This year, I've been out of church. More than any time in my life. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times I've missed this year coming here. But it doesn't mean that we weren't worshiping. On Sunday morning we got up and we got dressed and we sat on our couch. And we turned on the, the presentation from this church. And, and if that had not been there, we would have found a place to worship anyway. Because it's the one thing. The psalmist said, it's the one thing that I do. I'm going to dwell in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to worship in his temple. And let me tell you something. The New Testament, the New Covenant says, this is the temple. And wherever we are... We can find a place in his presence. One thing. Okay. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse number 42, where Jesus said, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Most of us know what's going on here. Uh, Jesus and, and the apostles had come into the house of Mary and Mar Martha and, and Lazarus, and, and they had come for a meal. And, and Martha was back in the kitchen, and she was frying chicken and mashing potatoes and, 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 and cooking. Some people say green beans, but I think it was broccoli with cheese. That, that work for you, Sister Pastor? Roger, it's okay, broccoli with cheese, you know. But Martha was back there, and, and, and I'm telling you what, I think it was a cherry pie, cherry cobbler. Cherry cobbler for dessert. And she was busy. She was busy, and finally she got fed up with it because Mary was nowhere to be found. And she stepped down into the living room, and there was Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
And she said, Lord, would you tell her to get back here in the kitchen and wash dishes? Well, I wouldn't want to be in the kitchen washing dishes anyway. But would you send her back here to help me? And Jesus said, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things. You're careful. Not a bad word. You're careful about a lot of things. But Mary has chosen that thing, that one thing that's really needful. And it can't be taken away from her. Let me tell you something, friends. Today, you've chosen that one thing that is needful, and this cannot be taken away. It'll not be taken away from you. You've come into the presence of the Lord, and it'll not be taken away from you. Then look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to worry about the past. How many times has, has the old devil tried to bring up your past and say, look, look what you've done. How can you be worthy? How can you be worthy? Paul said, I don't even worry about that. He knew what was in his past. He knew about standing at the, uh, at the stoning of Stephen and, and approving by it by letting them lay their coats at his feet. He knew about those things. He knew about the people that he had chased down and persecuted and killed for the cause of Christ. But now, Paul said, that's behind me. And it's not only behind me, it's under the blood. And God has taken care of it, and I'm all right, and I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward. I'm not going to be sidetracked by these things. I'm not going to be sidetracked by these things. You see, folks, eternity is in front of us. We must keep this one thing, the main thing, and not allow the peripheral, peripheral possibilities to distract us or sidetrack us from our ultimate goal. Okay? So we talked about sanctified. We talked about sidetracked. Now, now let's look at Jesus intended this happening to stir up memories. He intended this happening to stir up memories. Verses 24 and 25, both of them say, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Later on when the apostles were serving, wouldn't have it been wonderful to have been in a place where Peter or Andrew, or John, were serving communion. Wouldn't, wouldn't have that been an experience? Say, you know, guys, I was there, and I saw him do this. I saw him pray. I saw him break the bread. I saw him, wow, what an experience that would have been to have been in the presence of Peter John or Andrew. But when, when they did that, what did they remember? Because Jesus said, when you do this, remember me. Remember me. What did they remember? Maybe, maybe they remembered the time that he said to them, follow me. Maybe they, maybe they remembered the time that they were in the boat in the storms. And Jesus stilled the storms. Maybe they remembered that event 
where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When you take communion on Wednesday night, what will you remember? What would you remember? This morning, I remember as a little boy at my mom and dad's bedside, weeping and asking the Lord to forgive me of my sins. And when I got done, knowing that I was a child of God. I remember a Friday night in a youth service when I got a glorious refilling of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I remember a time when I was at college and I was struggling with irrational fears. Satan was attacking my mind and it was in every moment that I was awake and my sleep was fitful. And I remember on a Wednesday morning And I know it was Wednesday morning because it was Missions Day at Southwestern. And and I remember on that Wednesday morning, and the the missionary preached, and and he did a a good job, but what stuck in my mind is he said, he, he, he talked about how that fear is not of God. And all during that sermon, that fear was there, and that fear was there, and that fear was there. And it came the end of chapel service, And the dismissal prayer was being prayed. And when the dismissal prayer was prayed, God came down and miraculously took that fear out of my life. And I wept and I shouted and I cried and God set me free. I remember that. I'll never forget that. That miracle of deliverance that came about in my life. You see... I don't know what you'll remember on Wednesday night, but I'm sure whatever it is, it'll be marvelous because it was the Lord that carried it out in your life. It was the Lord that did it. So whatever it is, whatever it is, let's give the glory to the Lord. Let's give the glory to the Lord, okay? So we talked about sanctified, sidetracked, stirred. The Lord stirs up those memories. The fourth thing I want us to look at this morning is Jesus expected this activity to be an eloquent sermon. Look at verse number 26. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Now let me tell you something. The show here in this verse is not the same understanding as when we show something. It's not the same as if some grandmother comes up and says, let me show you the latest pictures of my grandbaby. I I remember Greg Wynn standing on this platform and talking about his grandbaby and just undoing a a whole selection of pictures of that grandbaby. Janice and I were at a family gathering on Friday and one of the ladies there had just had a new great-grand. And she, she came, and it wasn't in her billfold. It was on her telephone. Let me show you. This just came in. Let me show you the latest picture of my great-grandchild. My great-grandchild. You see, the Greek here means to proclaim to declare, to 
preach, to speak of, or to teach. You see, it's the proclamation of the good news, and, and our proclamation of the good news is as much, maybe more so, by the lives that we live than by the words that we speak. If you're not living it, what you say won't matter. Because people can't hear you if you're not living it. If you're not living it. And so what Jesus was saying, the observance of, of this ceremony, of, of taking these emblems of communion, this, this observance is a proclamation of your faith. What you do here proclaims your faith. Proclaims your faith. And so we've talked about sanctified, sidetracked, stirred, sermon. Now the fifth one is Jesus envisioned this celebration would stimulate hope for the future. Because Paul said, for as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come, till he come. He's coming. He's coming. Till he come. Till he come. You see, in this celebration of communion, we look back to the sacrifice of Jesus that secured the forgiveness of our sins. Can I tell you something? I've taught this for years, and I don't get very many opportunities to say, say this too often anymore. But when we look at the Old and the New Testament, do you know the difference in the relationship with the Lord between the Old and the New Testament? In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the cross. In the New Testament, and that's us, we look backward to the cross. It all centered on the cross. It's all about the cross. If it wasn't for that sacrifice, there would be nothing. Every time they killed a sheep, every time they burned a sacrifice, every time they spilled the blood, they looked forward to the time that there would be a permanent sacrifice that God was going to send the Messiah. God was going to take care of it. And today we look backward. We look backward. But at the same time, we look forward to the return of Jesus. At the same time that we're looking backward to the sacrifice, we're looking forward to the reality that he's going to take us out of here someday. He's going to take us out of here someday. You see, there's going to come a time, and it may be real soon. It may be today. There's going to come a time when Jesus will stand on the precipice of glory, and he will summon heaven's first chair trumpeter and command, blow your horn. And then the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel. And the trump of God shall sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So look forward. Look up. He's coming. And it may be soon. It may be soon, it may be soon. Hallelujah! Glory to God! Glory to God! Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Glory to God. So, so what do we take away from this? 
first thing that I want you to get this morning is keep your focus on the things of God in eternity. Refuse to be sidetracked by the carnal insignificant. Hear me? Refuse to be sidetracked by the carnal insignificant. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Let that be the love of your life. The second thing that I want you to take away from this is let every activity, not just the observance of the Lord's Supper, but let every activity proclaim your faith in Jesus. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. And the third thing is keep your eyes on the clouds. Jesus may be on the next one. Jesus may be on the next one. Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. It's close. Folks, it's closer than we realize. It's close. It's close.